1: So the education system is basically structured in such a way uh, where it builds compliance. Like, think of what, when you think of someone that is a good student in school, what do you think of? Someone who follows the rules, right? Mm-hmm. They come in when they're supposed to come in. They leave when they're supposed to leave. They get dismissed by the teacher, not the bell, whatever it is. They do all their homework, all that kind of stuff. They do what they're told. It's compliance. It's a compliance model. And it has been. That there's no, this is, not like, unknown. Like, we know that that's how the school system was built.
0: Let's go.
2: Welcome to Citizen. We have a very special guest today, Will Roosh. We had to discuss uh, how to abbreviate your first name and also how to pronounce your last name before we came on today, just to make sure so I don't sound like an idiot. Um, you're a high school social studies teacher in LA, and you've been doing quite a bit of online content as well, trying to get people yeah. to learn how to think, I guess is a good way to put that.
1: Yeah. Critical thinking is my big, is my big thing. And then, um, being a social studies teacher for, I'm going to my 17th year in the classroom and it's shocking how many people don't understand basics of the constitution, basics of our system, um, history, like, like none of it. So I just, I look at people in my field as we are failing and we're seeing the, the results of that out. In sure. The world.
2: Yeah. I, so I've got a, um, 14 year old, almost 15 now, now step kid. And, uh, he doesn't know what the Holocaust is. Like, he's never heard of that before. And he's he's going to be a freshman in high school this year. Is that is that typical? It seems weird to me.
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, it, technically, like, well, every state's different. But technically, like, world history isn't until 10th grade. Mm. So that's, like, where they get it formally. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends, like, what movies come out and things like that. Like, I don't know what Holocaust... Moves that have come out in recent Jojo Rabbit maybe or something like that, yeah. but yeah, I guess it's not it's not showing up much on TikTok and whatever like you know eighth ninth graders are doing a lot, but um, I think it's actually not that uncommon.
2: This episode of Citizen is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. Welcome back, guys, uh, dear friends of ours, my favorite people on earth, Jared Taylor, Matt Best, Evan Hafer. Uh We're going back with Black Rifle. Um, love these dudes and you know, we haven't had an active coupon code with them for a while, which will make a lot of you happy. So, you know, they get the best coffee in the world. I drink it every single morning. I actually drink I kinda switch it up. So it's either whole bean and I go with one of the uh <clears throat> the uh ECS, the exclusive coffees, or uh Silencer Smooth is my second favorite of everything they have. That's my other go to. And I've got the RTDs as well, the uh the The canned 300-milligram caffeine, that'll really jumpstart your day if you're getting behind. They also have a 200-milligram version of that. Um, Get the best merch in the world. You know these guys, man. It's the best stuff in the world. I recommend joining the coffee club. Um, You know, you get free shipping on all your stuff. You get early access to uh, all the new merch and all the new products that come out. Uh, You get good deals. They also have a section that have a bunch of codes, uh, discount codes for partners, for From meat companies and outdoor companies and all kinds of stuff over there, so join that coffee club and use the code citizen for twenty percent off uh, everything on your order first time subscriptions only and no order customers uh, so first time purchases on that for the for the subscriptions and it's one use uh, per customer obviously as as these codes are um, <clears throat> We're trying to get people back involved in the digital side of black rifles so you know, make sure you're photographing yourself with the with the apparel. They got the best apparel in the world. The stickers, all that stuff. The coffee products, making the coffee, and then send them in. Tag us. Tag Citizen Podcast. Uh, tag uh, Black Rifle Coffee. Tag Drink It Bros. All that stuff. Uh, so we know you're out there, and you know we know you're loving the product. This episode is also brought to you by our other dear friends, Ghost Bed. We just had uh, just recorded an episode with the uh, CEO. That'll be out pretty soon here. Um, right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base for everything else. 30% off. Use the code Bros at GhostBed.com forward slash Bros. You're going to get... Oh, man. If if you do the bundle deal and you get the uh, adjustable base and you get the mattress, maybe you add the uh, weighted blanket, maybe sheets, definitely pillows. You can't miss out on those. And the mattress protector. I. Add all that up together, 40% off, you're going to get a really good deal. But then you can apply the zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months. That's five years. You can get that entire suite for somewhere around $35, $40 a month. It's a really good deal, and the products are extremely good. Uh, If you don't believe me, every mattress has a 20-year warranty. Some even have a 25-year warranty. They also allow you to try it out for 101 nights. If you don't like it, you can send it back. No hard feelings. Every mattress is cooling they have some new cooling gel technology which is super dope <clears throat> so look we're not going to be able to say anything else we haven't said already about these guys it's the best product in the world um, go choose from one of their four mattresses pick your bundle add all that stuff up together go check out make sure you get the uh, zero down zero percent financing plan for up to 60 months go to ghostbed.com forward slash drink bros and get those deals Really? Yeah, no, That's you're you're right about that because um, I don't remember who it was, but there's a study published sometime in the middle of last year that said only like 25% of people under 25 know what the Holocaust was or something or can explain what happened there. I mean, that seems I, – I don't think that's really a critical thinking issue. It just seems like maybe we've moved on from that as part of the, the, yeah. you know, that, and that's kind of weird, right? Because fascism got very popular in the 1920s and thirties and has popped up a couple of more times since then. It seems like something we should be aware of.
1: Yeah. Do you know what's even crazier though, Dan, is the, uh, the, the Soviet experiment, Stalinism, mm. Mm. most adults go to go to Starbucks and ask them, you know, the details of the gulags and stuff like that. They have no idea. So the Holocaust is covered in a lot of, curriculum state standards and stuff like that but stalinism maoist china isn't covered really at all which again is you know tinfoil hat i wear all the time is i think an element of why we you know everyone gets called a nazi and we declare nazism is bad and everything holocaust but then and you don't hear much about the negatives of the extreme on like i guess like the left on the left right spectrum. if you want to say like like the nazism is the extreme right the extreme order then where does the extreme you know, progressivism head kids. That's not even taught like, like Holocaust. you you know, your step going to get it, but he, he's not going to get um, anything about Stalinism. Most likely. Right. Uh
2: Yeah. And it's, that's, that's certainly a problem because um, maybe it's not as sexy because they didn't round up people and put them into camps or target uh, people in the way that, uh, Nazism did, but the like controlling food supplies and things like that, and and doing doing it in such a way for for Mao deaths upwards towards you know 50, 60 million for Stalin yeah. to, like twenty eight million something like that, um, quite a bit more damaging than just outright slaughter of people, right? I mean, it, both in rate and total number stats. So it's it seems like you know, and, and I think it's super nefarious too because. It's that ideology that comes to you, and its explanation is it it has the best intentions for you. You just have to trust me. You know what I mean? And that's something that you hear a lot in politics.
1: Yeah, and and Nazism has that racial element, yeah. which we all know racism is bad. Yeah, we know that now. So when Nazism adds that racial component to it, that's like an easier thing, I think, for kids to grab onto than than yeah, like the the policies of. Looking for equity or, and all that kind of stuff that Lenin came in and was kind of pushing for. I think it's just it's just an easier sell to say like it's racism, it's anti-Semitism mm-hmm. than it is you know the the other way, but it's it's really a problem. It's a problem because you can ask a progressive person, you know what is considered too far progressive and a lot of them don't have a good answer for that. Like, where do you draw the line? Mm. I'm all about lines in my class. Like, where do you draw the line here and there? And say like, what do you, what would you say is too far where you're like, Hey, AOC back off, hold on, pump the brakes. Mm. What is that line? And I've asked that question to a lot of very progressive people and they don't, they're like, no, if it's in the name of equity it's a name of, you know, doing good, then there is no line.
2: Right. Well, I think, uh, the answer is obvious to, if you ask, if, if you didn't attach the names and the names of the ideologies to it people I think would would more or less fall under the same uh uh belief, which is that once it starts uh, infringing on people's personal liberty, now you've got a problem right although people define personal liberty quite differently depending on the circumstance um, yeah. yeah these are these are good problem statements i mean it's it's um I think it's kind of carried over from from the feudalist age where, uh, like, the church controlled access to God because all the Bibles were in Latin and only wealthy people or people that worked at the church spoke Latin, right? So you had to go there to get that. Um, And then just illiteracy in general during feudalist Europe, what was uh, a weapon that, that wardens used against common folk to keep them from, you know, figuring out too much about what's going on. Um, but now in the information age, that's impossible. So I guess maybe the, you have to shift to that, like to obfuscate the, the realities of some of these situations, right? So people can't get a full grasp on it. Maybe that's that's exactly
1: what's happening. It's like, yeah. Yeah, like when the printing press came out, it's like, oh, this is a real threat to our power because we control what gets read and what gets distributed. And it's like, ah, oh, not anymore. And that was really disrupting. I think that's exactly what's happening with the internet: is you like if a press secretary gets up and I don't care, I'm pr- I'm really heterodox, like I'm pretty mm. bipartisan. Like uh, I don't care if it's Trump or it's Biden. But like when their their you know spin doctor their press secretary gets up and says things that you know to be not true based on your like looking at the world. Mm. Um, then it doesn't hold up. And then the memers come in and they just just smash it. And I think it's good. I think transparency is really good. I think it's a necessity for uh, this country to thrive. And I think that, that the scramble you're seeing from Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell mm. is like, uh-oh, we don't control the narrative anymore. This is this is dangerous for us. Yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, it is.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. certainly like, it, – I mean – It's a it it is a very patrician attitude. Right. Um, To Mm -hmm. assume that assume that you can solve other people's problems and and they can't like you're not smart. I I believe uh, some Democratic lawmakers have said this in the last year, like you're just not smart enough to understand what we're doing here was the general idea. Which is, you know, that's that's not, one, it's not unique to Democrats versus Republicans, and it's certainly not unique to America versus other systems of government historically. That kind of stuff's been going on forever. Um, but uh, we had a guest on pff, last week or maybe the week before, I don't remember what it was, but um, he animated that it, to replace the, the ignorance of uh, illiteracy or social illiteracy, uh, even when people did learn how to read, um, that the powers that be are just flooding people with so much information and disinformation and misinformation and just info, info, info to kind of like create a paralysis by analysis situation. You know what I mean? Where people are so, so consumed trying to figure out what's going on that they're like, you know what? I don't know what's I, I can't do this anymore i'm just gonna go watch the kardashians you know what i mean and mind my own business yeah. which you know minding your own business is a good idea in theory but uh i think it was was it plato that said if you uh leave the governing of your country to other people then you're guaranteed to but governed by your inferiors or something like that i, can't, I, I believe it's something like, something like that so it's you know the, and it's the premise of this show i think that you you're not going to vote your way to freedom and liberty it doesn't work like that it's something that has to be uh uh taken by right and then uh uh maintained regularly you know that's what thomas jefferson meant when he said that the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants i don't think he meant we need to go to war every 15 years what he meant was blood sweat and tears that's that's been for four or 500 years, uh, an analogy for hard work and commitment, right? It's not about like fighting and partisanship and all that shit. It's about the expectation. If you want a good government, then you have to be a good citizen, right? A good and involved citizen. And I wonder from your perspective, I know it's, it's gotta be challenging. I mean, you live in LA, which is uh, not a great place these days. Um, Uh. but what do you see, um, in, in high in high school regarding critical thinking? And then how are you addressing that issue?
1: Um, it's, a, it's a real problem. I mean, I actually had to leave the public school system just because I was getting into too many just altercations with my administration and stuff like that, because I wanted to teach the way I wanted to teach. I want to teach things that I felt were important. And I was very held to standardized tests and stuff like that. So I found... A religious private school that basically brought me in and just said, "Do your thing." So I wrote a civics class all about being a good citizen, what that even means, um, how do we build a better society, stuff like that. I wrote it, got it UC approved, and, and I teach that now. Uh, but these, the, so the education system is basically structured in such a way uh, where it builds compliance. Like think, what, when you think of someone that is a good student in school. What do you think of someone who follows the rules, right? Mm. They come in when they're supposed to come in. They leave when they're supposed to leave. They get dismissed by the teacher, not the bell, whatever it is. They do all their homework, all that kind of stuff. They do what they're told. It's compliance. It's a compliance model. And it has been that there's no, this isn't like unknown. Like we know that that's how the school system was built, but little kids, I have little kids, like they're very curious. They ask a lot of questions. They're very, you know, trying to analyze like what is going on? What is this world Mm. that I'm in? And Throughout the system of education, you exchange your curiosity and your imagination for compliance Mm. because you're told this narrative that you have to get these good grades. If there's a little, if you screw up in one class and you go from an A to an A minus, that's gonna affect your GPA, then you won't get into good college and you don't get a good job. And we know that's not true. Adults know that's not true. How many successful people do you know that didn't go to college or didn't get good grades? Uh, A lot of them, maybe a majority of them, Mm. but, that takes away kids uh, willingness to fail it takes away kids ability to to think like if i it's basically like this like like an obstacle course i mean american ninja warrior or something like that like kids got really good at jumping through hoops but they if you said now design an obstacle course they have no they just they just break down i teach some really smart kids and they get great grades and stuff if you ask them to think of problems or, or come up, you know, generate real questions. They struggle with that. They're like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I think that's, that's the biggest problem that I'm seeing with a lot of the education system and the way that it's structured.
2: Sure. Yeah. It's so you exchange your curiosity for compliance in order to get good grades and get into a good college. It's social pressures for expectations. Right. And then I I think there's a good parallel there and, and how that continues into adulthood where we, uh, as a society have exchanged the pursuit and maintenance of Liberty for compliance, because it's easier and we want to meet those social standards Uh as well. Keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, but it's well, you, you can, you can, it's almost like Soma, right. And, and brave new world. It's something to control you to make sure that you don't get out of hand. And I, I understand it in theory, corporal punishment and corporal rules are, uh, effective at governing large bodies, but it it, it it solves a problem that may not necessarily be a problem, which is to say uh, our expectation is that there's one unified body maybe to govern all these people. So we have to use these things that are tools for governing that many people. Well, why? Why, why isn't governing less people at a time a, a better solution? I mean, that's kind of the idea of – Federalism and reducing power to the states and stuff, right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, that's why I go into detail about what the federalist system is. Mm. Well, how this country was established is that we are tiny little communities, little governments, started as colonies and then became these states that that they are going to run the way that they are and they all are going to be different. They're little laboratories too. Mm -hmm. So when Colorado was like, Hey, we're going to do recreational marijuana, everyone's sitting back like, Ooh, what's going to happen. Oh, it turned out. Okay. All right. Then we'll do it too. So everyone can kind of do their thing um, with an overall blanket of the constitution saying, you know, these are the things that the government can't do. These are the, the, the limitations and stuff like that. You know, these are, these are all the freedoms that, that are, you know, given to you you know or not given to you i'm sorry just like you know grants you just by by being alive so people have lost that federalist idea you know like the department of education i i have devoted my life to education like i think that good education k-12 high school education can solve a lot of our problems and i don't think we need a department of education on the federal level that's not the point um the danger is when we go back in history and say like well that's how we led to that's what led to slavery and segregation and stuff true but that those were defeated using the constitution Mm. and the way that that's interpreted and that's that's more nuanced i think that we can discuss the nuance of you know well what is considered you know freedom of expression or you know all that kind of stuff We, we can work that out uh maybe on the federal level to some degree but so to think that everything needs to be top down from Washington DC is absurd and it's very different. It's very different than what our founding fathers had in mind and what got us to thrive to build this country.
2: Yeah, I mean so the 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 backstop, I guess, of the Constitution, the general idea is that if something is wrong enough that we can marshal two thirds of our states to, to add an amendment to the constitution. We did it with slavery. We did it with uh, women and well, just the right to vote in general for anybody, not, not necessarily just for women, but certainly that. Um, And it gets interesting, you know, I mean like this, (laughs) it's not just one thing that ever is the culprit. You know what I mean? And, and, and what I would call societal decay. Um, You know, it's a lot of little things or maybe some big things mixed in, but, Certainly one of them is the public education system. We've, we've completely failed there. I mean, so th- think about the language we're using there is that not just in public education, but at the front end of most people's professional careers as well, including uh, uh, university and things like that. And as they're moving into the professional world, we're still generating compliance. Now, maybe it's, maybe it's the result of uh, having to use corporal punishment you know what I mean? And, and governing large bodies. And, and we don't have the uh, the time or temerity, perhaps, to, to govern at a lower level and teach at a lower level. But it, it, there also seems to be this very nefarious output, which is that we're just training people to be obedient workers and not challenge the status quo. That that to me is a big pr- whether it's happening on purpose or not. That's a big fucking problem.
1: It's huge when um, you know we were wearing masks. Like I think they might even have a mask mandate now here in (laughs) LA. Like it's crazy. But I was at the mall when I was like you know shopping for something for my wife, and there was like scented candles, and I had to wear a mask. So I pulled down the mask and was breathing, and they're like, "No, you can't do that." I was like, "It's a scented candle. I want to smell what it's like before I give it to my wife." Like, and like, "No, you can't." And I was like, "Why?" They're like, "Oh, I just I'm I'm not allowed to. You know, I have to regulate that." So I said, "Let me talk to your manager." So I went up the chain. Manager was like, "I hear you, but." you know, the, whatever, the security here. So I went to security, I like worked my way up the chain and it was just, was basically just like pointing the fingers up to like, well, Gavin Newsom said so. So that's it. So so it's the compliance. Like, what does that look like in real times? People are acting in ways that they are told to do and not thinking about like, is this, does this make any sense whatsoever? People are just complying. I think mass, like whatever you think about mass, but like, you should at least think about it. Like you should listen to a bunch of different doctors and stuff like that about it, not just listen to a politician that tells you it. I mean, the way the constitution is structured, I go over this in my class, is not you are allowed to do this stuff. It's the government can't do that stuff. So the way I explain it to my students is like, there's a difference between, hey, mom and dad, I wanna go to this party on Saturday night. Can I go? And they say, yes, you can go. Versus, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to a party on Saturday night you can't tell me i can't and they go all right well i can't like you, you still go to the party regardless but the framing of it is very different mm. and that's what people don't seem to understand about the constitution is they think that like the government gives you the right to 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 say whatever you want to say freedom of speech or the right to protect yourself with a firearm or something like that it's like no no the way that the constitution is written look at the words of it it says the government can't infringe on this the government can't stop you and i think once you have that mindset that's a that's might be uh the results might be the same as i said but the the framing matters a lot
2: yeah because so it's i I tell people this a lot about um it's like um i ask people these in-depth questions to get them to explain exactly what they're thinking um because Mm -hmm. for the same reason that a math teacher says show me your work it's not to give you unnecessary superfluous work to do it's to identify what a problem in the process right Like we, if I can figure out where you went wrong, I can correct that really easily, but having to unpack all of this stuff over time is is extremely difficult. I wonder, um, how do you in the classroom? And so we have a lot of, um, one people with children who listen to the show, but people who are leaders, people who are teachers, but also we have younger people that reach out to us that are still in high school or still in, in university. How do you challenge that, that, kind of passive group think that's that's intrinsically linked to the idea of success in America in the classroom and how do you instruct your teenagers especially on how to process this kind of social landscape where the reward is kind of walled off behind compliance and do so without making do so and make them free thinkers without becoming like contrarians or edge lords or any of that stupid because mm-hmm. you know th- there's there's a you can go too far in that where you're just like, "No, no, it's like that sure. that Larry David commercial that's out right now where he just says that no no new invention. It shows him through history with adventures like the wheel or fire is like, "Ah, that'll never work" or whatever. You know, you don't want to be a contrarian. That's just it's so exhausting to everybody. So how do you handle that? Um,
1: it's nothing new. It's the Socratic method. Mm. I mean, I think I do, I ask a lot of questions and I encourage a lot of of my students to break out of whatever their echo chambers are i taught in east l.a it was like a zero percent white school
2: Mm.
1: you know kids were 17 years old living in los angeles never been to the beach and i was like guys you gotta break out you gotta go out you gotta expand your horizons a little bit and then now i'm at like a wealthy private school on the west side and they never go into the hood it's like we are so isolated and i use social media a lot i use instagram and one of the things that i use it for which i think is The way it should be used is to connect with people that are very different than yourself. So I ask a lot of questions, a lot of questions. They have a strong belief. I just keep asking questions, asking questions, asking questions. And then um, I do dive into like, well, how many people that you have the strong opinion about have you actually had interactions with? (laughs) Like on an even playing field, like an actual interaction with. I mean, that's why I started my podcast is like, I've never talked to, had like an in-depth conversation with a trans person before. So I'll start a podcast that's all about viewpoint diversity. And I'll bring on, I've had on like seven or eight different trans people. Some of them are like MAGA hat wearing, some of them are like blue haired activists. And it's like, oh wow, you learn a lot about this nuance. So it's, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing because these kids are going in there with like strong, like strong stances. I know what's right. And my parents have told me what's right. Media has told me what's right. Right. And it could be it can be right or left, whatever, on the political spectrum. And I just constantly challenge that. I give all kinds of assignments about um, seeking disconfirmation. What is your hypothesis? Just like science, you're talking about math class, just like science class. Mm. You have a hypothesis that I drop this pen, it's going to fall because of gravity. Keep testing it. Try to prove it wrong. Because mm. with the internet, you can always find confirmation bias. You can always find someone, some website to say that you're right. But try to prove yourself wrong. And if you can't, then you're, you really struck some gold. And if you can, then you go, oh wow, I guess that's, I guess I was wrong. And then embracing failure in my classes is, is the last one I would say like, is it's okay to get it wrong. I get stuff wrong all the time. What's amazing is if your ego is not connected to having the right answers, but your ego is connected to getting to the right answers. Mm. So you're wrong. It's like, Oh, tell me how I'm wrong. Sweet. Cause that's, that's gonna feed my ego. Cause I'm always looking to get better and better ideas as opposed to I'm the smartest one in the room. So those are some of the ways that I try to um um bring it out in my students, and it's disrupting for them it really is it's it's like it's like frustrating because you're like man, I knew so much more before your class, even though it wasn't accurate like I just I felt a lot more confident in my beliefs, but yeah, that's education <laughs>
2: right, yeah, yeah, I mean that's epictetus, right You have to be willing to be thought foolish to improve that's a that's some two thousand year old wisdom for all of us um yeah, I, I, that that's a really good approach, you know, and it's, it's interesting, the, the stuff that you're talking about, the the methodologies you use for, um, for these kids who are, you know, by the time you're in high school, I feel like you're pretty rooted into some belief system, because all of the people around you have been people that you re- love and respect and depend on have been telling you these things for years. And also, you know, there's the other part, there's the incentive part where I get to do more of what I want more comfortably without interference if I stay on this belief system path, whatever it happens to be. Right. Um, I, I think maybe I, I the idea that um, there's a reward to believing a certain thing. Is the is very polluting, right to the to the Socratic method? Yeah. Like it's, and I don't. I'm not entirely sure how to handle that or how to coach that out of people because, you know, it usually goes. The 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 people who have very strongly held beliefs, like I, I've said this a lot of times. No one knows No one will fight harder to preserve a lie than somebody who's wasted their lives believing it. it, it there's something about that becoming. Intrinsic to your identity, where it's very painful. I've never seen anybody get anybody that's that f- far into it. I've never yeah. seen that. I've never seen a debate or argument convince them. It's usually experiential things that convince them, right? So, like uh, yeah. the marriage equality thing, people were super anti gay marriage for a long time for some reason. I never understood it. But um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of celebrities started coming out and then regular people and people started to realize like, Oh, my friends and family, some of them are gay and they're like, I've known them already. Mm -hmm. They're a normal person. So it's not that big a deal. Okay, cool. This is not a big deal. You know what I mean? It was more experiential, but no debate. There was no debate you could have had in 1995 that would convince people who consider themselves Republican to, to support marriage equality. Like that never would have happened. You know what I mean? So I wonder how we do that. How do we take the theory of, like teaching and Socratic method and apply that to experiential things, especially for, you know, for kids that are like high school, middle, middle school and high school are really important. And I, it's an unfortunate this is true, but you're almost preparing them to fight some battles if they do go to university because that that's, they're basically trying to lobotomize everybody that comes through there these days. So I wonder what strategies might be effective in, in exper- experiential stuff. I like your idea of telling kids not to just sit in their own neighborhoods. That's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if there's more, yeah. like what, what else can we do there?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the Socratic method, I've had educators, like influential educators tell me the Socratic method is toxic and stuff like that. Like, like it's, it's wild how, how question, certain things are just you can't question. You know, you mentioned identity too. Like, I want kids to question how they identify. One of the interesting things I've had done like a hundred podcasts with the past several years. I do like, you know, one every once in a while Mm. with all these different people is how you identify really matters. Uh, my wife was vegan for a couple of years and it wasn't for like animal rights. It wasn't for anything. It wasn't for health really. It was just for simplicity. Mm. So if you said, Hey, let me give you some information about veganism, about how it actually, you know, decimates, um, you know, small animal populations and, or, 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 you know, environments or whatever, or it's unhealthy for these race. She'd be like, Hmm, interesting. Cool. But if you're, if her name was like vegan girl, 26 on Instagram and Twitter, that's her identity. And then when that gets challenged, it's like your brain thinks it's actually being attacked, like a psychological backfire effect. So I think what we have to do is, is reframe these, these young people. They're not they might they have like that like how they identify and stuff and some of that's getting warped because of it's it's a, a hyper focus on immutable characteristics and things like that, but I think that they're still young enough that you can break that apart and um and and let them know that it's okay to to you know identify with other things. It doesn't have to just be your race or gender or or political uh, affiliation or stuff like that. Um, but another thing is, is courage. Mm. And I think courage is gonna come from, uh, there's different kinds of courage, I guess. Because people say like, wow, Will, you're really courageous for talking about this stuff on your Instagram. It's like, nah, <laughs> no, no, no. That's not the way I would define courage. Um, but the, the, just the idea that you'll be okay. I think that it's, it's like um, uh, bravery and courage. You have to kind of be scared to be brave. Right. Like, like if you're, if you're a fireman and you just go like, I love the heat. <laughs> I love it. It's awesome. But houses is on, on fire. I'm get, get out of my way. I'm going in. Mm. I don't know if that's this, it's amazing, but I don't know if that would be brave. I think brave is like there's the dragon and there's a threat there, but beyond the dragon is the princess or the gold or whatever. And so the thing that you want, the thing you desire, and you got to get through that dragon, even though it's scary. You know, like, I think that that's, that's something I want to try and instill in, in young people is, this, this idea that you can, you know, be courageous. You can get to the things. And this is all old stuff. Like mm. you said, this is old philosophical stuff. But kids don't get that enough. They don't get um, the encouragement to, to, to follow that process, Yeah, I think. And that's something that I, that I try to elicit as well. Like, you'll be okay if you fail. Who has a lot of confidence? Because young men say stuff like, man, girls like guys with a lot of confidence. It's like, who has confidence? like all the guys who get the girls. It's like, yeah, but what is confidence really? It's not that you're you're not going to fall. It's that you'll fall and be okay. Mm. You'll fall and you'll get back up. And you get that from falling a lot. Skateboarders are great examples. They fall over and over and over again. And they know how to fall and they get back up. And I think applying that to the way your mind works and saying it's okay if I'm wrong, it's okay to, to, to shift my views and things like that, I think is a, is a good approach.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, so there's, a, there's an an inherent element of discomfort to the ideas of courage and bravery. Right. I mean, it's, and it's something that, uh, maybe the fact that people are more reserved and less likely to buck social norms, particularly when they're, uh, oppressive is that they never develop that sense of, of being okay with discomfort, whether it happens to be, whether it's fear or physical discomfort or social discomfort or whatever, uh, like I, I like to think about these things because I want to identify root causes because those are the only things that can really be effectively treated. You know what I mean? We can't uh, – trying to treat downstream effects in, in sociology is that – you may as well not even fucking bother with that. Like there's no point in trying to do that. Who knows? Um yeah. So there's got to be a bigger push. And, and I'm talking to parents of young kids, especially right now, but also – you know, if you're a kid in middle school or, or high school right now, you know, this is that's your opportunity to be a leader. And also, you know, it's a good test environment. Like, the stakes are relatively low still. Um, like, taking, it, taking stands for things, which, you know, by the way, when there's social compliance levers involved, kids do take stands for things all the time, right? If there's virtue signaling involved in it, they'll do that and make it part of their identity. I'm just asking you to take that one step further and... When everybody's you know looking left, maybe look right, or if everybody's doing one thing, it, it, you don't necessarily have to. you don't You don't necessarily have to disagree, but at least ask if what we're doing is right. You know what I mean? And and why? Like, tell me what what we're doing. Tell me why you think it's right. You know what I mean? I think that those are reasonable questions for for anybody of any age to ask.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just like tap into that curiosity. Yeah, there was a. a- kid at my school who was upset because he was like, yeah, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so said that I was a, a psychopath for lowering my mask. And I was like, well, why don't you ask them questions about, you know, cause they, and then he, I guess the teacher had them like repeat COVID is not over. COVID is not over. It was <laughs> crazy. And I was like, I was like, why don't you ask them for specific details of what COVID being over looks like? Mm. What, what would the rates be? What would this be like, ask them like, cause what happens is people, Young people, too, like they get they, they say these like rhetorical questions like, how could you possibly think that? And what I always say is, like, turn that into an actual question. Mm. Like, what, you're curious why this teacher would act this way. You're curious why they would have you do this stuff. So tap into that and just ask them. And what happens is the teachers get very upset. Or the people who you ask these questions to get very upset. You get told the Socratic method is dangerous or toxic or, or whatever it is. But yeah, the fear of pushing back is going back to that compliance thing. There's a great book by John Height and Greg Lukianoff called The Coddling of the American Mind. Oh, yeah. It's excellent. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's how these kids are just, they're not given the free reign to just like work out disputes among themselves and all that kind of stuff. So they become um unfamiliar with with discomfort just Mm. as you were saying so it could be physical discomfort Mm. i mean i have kids like it's freezing in here it's 67. you know it's so hot in here it's 73. i was like you guys are out of your minds like this is this is not good it's not going to serve you well because you can't handle discomfort and life is going to be a lot it's going to throw you a lot of curveballs you're going to get very very uncomfortable how are you going to deal with that you know and and for people who are in like these culture war things Um, a a lot of teachers that I kind of like try to like represent, uh, they say like, I'm just so scared that I'm going to be accused of being a racist or I'm going to get canceled or something like that. Like that that's only scary until it happens a few times, like falling down on your bike or whatever, or when you're water skiing only is scary until you do it a few times and you just brush yourself off. You get back up. I've been called every name in the book and I just don't care anymore. It's like, it's lost its, its, its meaning. So I think that, that helping kids to be uncomfortable, physical discomfort. Uh, I was listening to uh, Ryan Holiday, I think he was mm-hmm. talking on some podcast, he was talking about how he's writing a book and it gets really uncomfortable when he's like, oh, I know this feeling. This is the feeling I have in the middle of a hard run. It's almost the same feeling. And if you can overcome discomfort in a physical sense, maybe you can apply that to a mental sense. But our kids today are not getting a lot of physical discomfort. They're not getting a lot of um, mental discomfort. And that's crucial. It's crucial to, to getting through this properly.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's definitely um, – what you're describing is every selection process for for special operations or anything that exists, right? So the the idea of the hell week, for example, whether it's in BUDS, or the 21-day selection for, uh, for special forces assessment selection, or, or any of these other ones, uh, rip, rasp, and the in the ranger community, the the hell week part, or whatever it is, however long it is for them, uh, that part of it, it's not to see what you can do physically, right? It's to push you beyond your physical limits, to see what how you will handle that mentally, right? That's the entire purpose of that. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, standing on a bed of nails or sitting in a sauna and then jumping into an ice bath. These are all the same kind of general idea, right? Like it's yeah. the, the things that we've learned to do in relative safety and comfort at our own homes or at a spa or something like that, they're approximations, but the, the general idea is the same, right? It's it's If I can put myself in extreme physical discomfort and learn to mentally overcome that and then I seek out social or mental discomfort somewhere else and apply that same methodology. Now I've learned something, right? And and it's the interesting thing about that is that it's not like learning a subject where uh, I might have to keep notes or bullet points to remind myself of the things I've learned or go research it again sometime. Not to say that it's not a muscle that needs to be continually trained because it can atrophy, but. Once you learn how to once you learn how to overcome the mental stress portion, then you know how to do it. Like you never un you never unlearn that. Uh uh, uh it, it just doesn't work that way, you know what I mean? So we're not talking about I, I know people see these as daunting tasks, like, Oh, I can't do that. That's like Tim Kennedy's an amazing human being. I can't do what he does. There's a lot of truth in that statement, right? You <laughs> of course you can't do what he does. Yeah. He's fucking Captain America, but um, the part that he figured out about perseverance and, and living with discomfort you can do, uh, every single human being can do that there's no one that can stop as a matter of fact that's the one of the more empowering parts it's it's very interesting to me and I think it's one of the things that's really really important so you talk about connecting your ego uh, to getting the right answers and not to being the author of them teaching courage and stuff like that. I think this is one of the things that people see as a daunting task, but actually it's extremely beneficial because not only are the the benefits of the action itself uh, uh, extremely good and helpful and pretty much everything you'll ever do. But the fact that that is a reality means that you have all the power. Like we live in a society, big Mm -hmm. society where people feel disillusioned and disenfranchised and powerless to control their own lives. But the reality is you have all of the control over your life, right? Uh, is if you can exercise your mind like that and learn to thrive in discomfort.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's, what's cool is teaching a class of whatever, 25 students or whatever, is they're very different. So To one kid, if you say like go out and and run a mile, it's very uncomfortable for them, Mm -hmm. but they can sit down and just crack open a book and just read straight through. And then another kid might, might be like, the hard thing for you is to sit down and read a book in silence. So just getting them to challenge that and it's different for everybody. Some people really embrace the idea of just like ice baths and that kind of like torturous, like you know hill sprints and all that kind of stuff. But if you tell them to sit down and meditate, they just can't, Mm. you know, or whatever it is. So it's, it's, it's what you have to find what challenges you because it's going to be, it's going to be a different thing for everybody. So I try to to cater that to my students and, and push them to, to do, you know, my, my, I have three kids. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old and an 11-month-old. We are our family motto is i can do hard things so mm. before we drop them off every day at school and everything it's like what's the Rouge family motto i can do hard things because what happens is they, they go down to why aren't you doing this buddy it's hard well what's the family motto so <laughs> i'm always trying to challenge um my students and my own kids to to and myself to do these things that i kind of don't want to do but i know that i would be good for me and it's just not done nearly enough in my field like it's really cool for you to invite me on here man because there's not a lot of teachers that I think are taking this approach. It's unfortunate. I just saw one of the biggest teacher conventions that this big like picture wall and it said, do what you love to do. And that's the message that they're going to send to their kids. It's like, no, what, what, no, I love sitting by the pool drinking beer. am I just going to do that. Is that my career? Like, no, that's not like they say like, you know, t- whatever you love to do, turn that into your job. Well, I love to do that. That's not a job. Hmm. I, I, Ed, I flipped that around. When I give career advice, I teach 11th and 12th graders. The career advice I give is find the thing that you love working hard at. Mm. Not the thing you love to do, because that could be drugs, drugs make you feel good, but find the thing you love working hard at. So that grind, what grind do you really embrace? Because there's something in that then that's gold because you'll outwork your competition if you just love it. And I know people who love crunching numbers and love being an accountant. I it doesn't make sense to me, but they will—they will outwork the people who are an accountant just for the money all day because they love it. They love finding the little half a percentage point to save their clients or something mm-hmm. like that.
2: Well, what, what um, you so I think that's, that's yeah. what you're describing is purpose, right? I mean, that's how you find what mm-hmm. your purpose is going to be. And look, it's not like uh, a lot of people get turned off when you get kind of woo-woo with some of these some of these uh, subjects, but. Uh, you know, purpose is something that's uh, a big part of human life and without it, uh, we, we, I guess people call it now the the God-shaped hole uh, after mm-hmm. like we're kind of in a post-religious society in a lot of ways, even though there's quite a few religious people uh, still out there. But society itself is kind of in a post-religious um, uh, 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 setting now, and that's going to get replaced by something right? It's going to get replaced by some pursuit because that's what being a human being is all about is pursuing things. Um, And it doesn't have to be some higher calling or something supernatural or anything like that. Like your purpose is going to be something that happened, something about the development of your brain and and your surroundings. Uh, So those two, a physical and a social element and then what you enjoyed as a child, maybe, or whatever it is, some problem solving, it's going to be some, some problem that you enjoy solving, and that is going to be your purpose in life. It doesn't mean that it was assigned by somebody or that if you don't believe in God, this, this isn't to challenge you to believe in something outside of yourself even. This is just how nature works. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, Hunter gatherers to planters to warriors to educators, scientists uh, all throughout human history people have had purpose. And now I feel like most people don't. Most people are just trying to doggy paddle to stay above water at this point. And yeah. some of it is due to societal challenges. Some of it is due to, you know, <coughs> excuse me, na- in my opinion, nanny states and oppressive governments. But a lot of it is due to just the the complacency that we've trained into people over time and that we've allowed ourselves to fall into as well, right? Like you're not going to... Yeah. You're not going to find a whole lot of purpose bitching about politics on Twitter. And if you do that, that's a big problem. Cause you're not, that's to me is a net negative. Like if there, there are certainly problems that people need to talk about. And I appreciate the people who uh, in a, in a just and righteous way point out the flaws in these systems. I've tried to do that myself, but at some point, we have to make some effort towards solving them and not just bitch about it all the time. Right. So that's what we're trying to do here. And I see a lot of people like you trying to do that in the education sphere yourself, Corey DeAngelis, uh, Bogosian with the university of Austin, along with Barry Weiss and those people, like they're doing a lot of good work and it has nothing to do with right versus left politics. It's about our most valuable resource our human beings and how we're, how we're treating them from the lowest possible level all the way up to prepare them for life. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like one of the yeah. biggest problems in the country right now is, is the absence of purpose and that we're teaching our kids that their purpose is entirely wrapped up in their identity, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean it's yeah the, the the religious container or whatever it is i mean peter and a lot of the people because i mean that's like anti-woke space to some degree are atheists mm. but even they're recognizing that we have that so you know so one of the things that i um because but if you abandon that then morality gets kind of tricky one of the things that i do with my with my students is i say you know are you a good person you know and they might say yes or no. it's like well first you have to define what it is to be a person then if you're going to be good at it and i'd say mm. just say like you know i have a water bottle here is this a good water bottle? Yeah. Is it a good pillow? No. Like it serves a certain purpose. It's bad at doing the job of a pillow, but it's good at being a container for a liquid. Like, so if you're going to be good at being a person, then you have to define what a person is. And then what does that mean? What is your, what is your goal here? And that's where you get to your purpose of like, what, what, um, what are you, what are you here for? What do, what do you do well? And how can you contribute and mm. what can you be used for, for a society, and it's gonna be diverse. Cause if we get into a massive war, I don't want Elon Musk kicking indoors. I want him being Iron Man making cool <clears throat> rockets. You know, we don't wanna we we all have something to contribute to this society. And I think that's really an important element of, of understanding, you know, your role of of you know, we focus so long on your rights as an American, justifiably, because mm-hmm. rights were denied through in a lot of ways, but we have done that and shifted the focus away from your responsibilities and your duties. And you have responsibilities and duties to your country, to your community, to your family, to you know the people that you interact with. What are those and are you going to uphold those? And, and that's, that's something that I, that I try and promote a lot because it does. I don't care what you're good at and what you love to do, but how are you gonna use that to fulfill some sort of purpose, to do some sort of greater good for you your community, your family, and then you know, just you kind of grow out to to the world at large. That seems like a pretty good aim for young people to start looking at because they don't even have a name. Kids are really upset that they don't get into a college, and I go, "Well, why did you want to go to that college?" And they don't have an idea, no idea. Mm. Like, did you want to study under that professor? No. So you're disappointed about not getting something that you didn't know why you wanted to get it. Like th- these kids are lost. Mm. And yeah, so they, they grab onto identity or they grab onto, they just look at that flip, right? Ah, I don't know. I just finance, I guess, because money's cool. Like they don't know. And I think that guiding them as early as possible, I mean, maybe not like preschool, but like, you know, in high school, like I think is a good time to get them to start thinking about what are you going to contribute? How are you going to get your life fulfilled? How are you going to, you know, make things better? Yeah. And what does that even mean
2: even better? Right. Yeah, that's good. Those are good questions. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I, to your last point, if, if, regardless if if you're a young person or or older person if your purpose is entirely wrapped up in your identity you will always fall into tribalism by definition like the terms may change the like what you're tribalistic about might change but you will always be tribalistic if you're if your purpose is aligned solely with your identity that can't be the case you can't allow yourself to do that i mean it's that's absolute poison to your other point um it's funny you mentioned rights and responsibilities because that's the definition of citizen. What I mean, and I don't mean that in uh, uh, a roundabout way. I mean, that's literally in every definition of citizen is the rights and obligations or rights and responsibilities of a person that is either born into or naturalized to a state, right? Um, And I do like to say a lot that we've spent quite a bit of time since... I mean, it's been going on probably for the entirety of American history, but particularly since in this particular uh, uh, time period for the last 25 years or so, we've been talking a lot about our rights and very little about our responsibilities to their, those rights. You know what I mean? It's like um, mm-hmm. we're, trying to, we're trying to live in a house that we refuse to build or maintain, and, and how does that work? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it doesn't. So the idea of citizenship, I think where there is the bifurcation between rights and responsibilities has major ap- uh, implications for both the state and the citizen. And we, so once we, once we eschewed our responsibilities as citizens, in my opinion, that's when we became subjects instead of citizens, right? Like we, we, Yeah. <sighs> We, we kind of jettisoned whatever obligation we may have to take part in in the in the social contract, whether it be uh, uh, you know workforce or or just society in general or politics we guaranteed ourselves to be subjects because now these people are not leaders from among us but rulers over us and that's something that we really tried to avoid in the early days of this country. Um, yeah. And from my perspective. Yeah, it's no, no, I mean I was that was that's the whole, our whole structure. It was it was kind of the whole point. You'd th- you'd think that we would uh pay more okay. attention to that, but from my perspective, um or from our perspective rather, it's it's a lot easier to reduce the idea of citizenship to what you're owed, I guess. But the 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 fatality of that uh uh, line of thinking is what you mentioned before, which is that people have come to believe that the rights are granted by the state instead of guaranteed by them right those, those are very big differences Guarante- a guarantee of something is something that exists and rightfully so and this is an agent of protection, not an agent of granting rights like the government doesn't have the authority to grant me anything they exist because I allow them to exist right that's that's the way you should think about that. But the, the only, the only, uh, <clears throat> I guess responsible and ethical way that you can hold that opinion is if you're also doing your share, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's the thing that we've kind of lost with the young crowd for sure. Like the, it used to be for us, boy Scouts, you know, leave stuff better than what you found it, uh, put more in than you take out, which is one of our principles. Um, mm-hmm. And then you mentioned, again, the other thing was, um, what is it about your, like what, what, during the process of discovering what your purpose is going to be, a big element of that is the, the work output that I do, whether it be building a family or building a business or work or charity or whatever it is, how is it connected to helping other people and helping my country? So that's one of our principles as well, which is, uh, I'll do something every day to help my country. My countrymen are all men. Um, and I've gotten some uh, pushback on that. Like, well, how can I do something every single day? Like, all right, cool. You can hold the door for somebody every day. Like, there's something you can do every day. You can challenge somebody who's, who's being rude to somebody else. But it, the, the point is to get people in the habit of seeking out uh, 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 both discomfort and seeking out solutions, right? So you see somebody that looks like they're upset that day for some reason, go ask them why, you know what I mean? I don't know how many, yeah. I don't know how many unnecessary deaths, whether it be suicide or fucking some kind of mass shooting that could have been prevented by one person talking to another person. And and that event did not happen because one person was uncomfortable, that yeah. can, that that's that's a fucking shame to be honest yeah. and it's something again it sounds like a we look back on those things and we feel really negatively about it and you know I, I guess there's room for some guilt in there but uh you really need to turn that into to purpose right so the idea is that somebody could have done something about that or well i'm somebody i can do something about it from this point forward every single day right
1: yeah yeah, there's so much there. I mean, a lot of like the critical theory stuff that's going into schools is it's about victimization. It's about eliciting anger, and it's not, not giving solutions for making it better. That's that's cruel to me. You can't tell young people that they're these that they're victims and things are so terrible, and then not give them a pathway for how to try and make it better. And that's exactly what's happening. Um, you know, it goes along with this like do what you love" concept that's all over the place too. Is like, like, well, what about cleaning up the park? Like I bring my kids, sometimes we clean up the park. So we go to the park, we just bring the garbage bags and clean it up. And we say like, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? My boy's like, nobody. It's like, yeah, like, like doing that, you know, community service is required in a lot of schools, but there's so many ways to BS that. I just had a recent graduate from a Hollywood high school, on my podcast, I was talking, and he's like, oh, you can just say that you um, attended a rally, and you get your full community service hours. So like, there's all so so it's not really about, again, it's not really about the service. It's about just like checking a box, Mm. just like just like compliance Just do this. All right, as opposed to um, actually contributing something. I mean, service your alliance, people who do armed forces, I know, like Israel and a bunch of other countries have like mandatory service. Mm. You know, there's something to that. I'm not saying any mandatory service. I like having a volunteer military. But but there's something to the importance and the value of getting people to buy into this because we were just given this unbelievable blessing of this country. And if you were born here, like I was, you would just take it for granted. My wife is an immigrant though. She came here when she was eight years old and they were struggling from the Philippines, like 10 people in a one bedroom apartment type of thing. And her her patriotism is so strong because she knows something else and her her, my in-laws were under you know marcos Mm. who was like a real dictator and duterte now like have family members are like yeah a bunch of teenagers were just shot in the street for staying out after curfew and once you see that then you go oh i should appreciate where i'm at a little bit you hear these immigration stories of people who've come here just struggling just can i please just get to america but then there are people who are here who just take it for granted because you're just handed the keys to a ferrari you don't appreciate that Ferrari. If you were digging fence posts for 10 years to save up for that Ferrari, you're gonna wash and wax it and take good care of it and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot now is we're just, these these young people are just given tremendous blessing of being in this country. And then they just look at all the negatives of it, which there are negatives, look at all the negatives of it. And then just like kind of take it for granted, like this is the way it is everywhere. No, no, it's not. It's definitely not, you should travel more to see how crazy it is in other places and maybe you appreciate it more. But I think that's, that buy-in is really important.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, um, Compulsory service doesn't work for the reasons that your Hollywood high school graduate outlined. People either, uh, the the people that you really need to convince to do this stuff are either gonna do it half-assed or they'll find a way to check the box or whatever, right? uh, I think a better method What about
1: Israel, though. What are your thoughts on that? And Israel, it seems to work pretty well, right?
2: Um, I, I think it works pretty. I think it always at threat. Yeah. I think we're sampling on the the dependent variable on that one. Cause, uh, there's such a deep national pride already that yeah. the compulsory service and it, and the compliance with it is, is almost assured because of it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that it would work here in the U S um, the suicide bombings all the time. It's like I know I see
1: rockets flying over my mm. head. You're a little bit more encouraged to to, to participate. Where yeah, yeah. here we have this sense of security. That makes sense.
2: Yeah. I think a better method for um especially for I mean that's a single country with what, uh not not as not nearly as many people as in as we have, obviously, and we're in a federalist system. So we it's much larger, a much broader uh much broader ideas, you know what I mean? Like if people have different ideas about that sort of thing. Um, but the Peace Corps exists, right? So I, but I still think compulsory service, I just don't think it works in in open societies like this. Uh, I think a better method and it's one that worked up until the 1960s really, which is <clears throat> setting the expectation that all people serve and serve each other. And, allowing natural social pressure and shame to kind of run its course like for example in 1850 yeah. if your if your neighbor needed help you helped them right and it, and if you didn't everybody knew you were a piece of shit right yeah. and and i i think it i think that's a much more effective and organic model to do something like that trying to compel people to do things like it, it's i i think it removes the point where the person begins to understand why they're helping other people. You know what I mean? I think that's the most important part like of it. The culture shift. Yeah. I, I think it's yeah. doing it just to do it. It is so you can check a box or be in compliance. I, I think it removes that element where the paradigm shift in people's brains happens where they're like, you know, I, I've, I've now seen, and I think your idea of, of, um, uh, People experiencing different cultures, right, being it's exposed to how the real world is and not just in America, is that's probably a, a better solution to that. Because yeah. what's what's the phrase? Uh, lessons not learned in blood are soon forgotten. You know what I mean? Which isn't to say you need to go to combat to learn a lesson, but if, if there's no consequences, if you don't see what real suffering looks like, then developing empathy for it is going to be i think i think it's going to be difficult for people to do that
1: yeah well there's a culture shift though i mean the fact is that there's a lot of people now who have platforms bigger platforms Mm. whatever i mean all the way up you know joe rogan or someone like that like who promotes this kind of stuff you know doing hard things and and you know like challenging yourself and um helping people and all that kind of stuff like you know, Tim Kennedy, like all these people, they're doing this, you, like, you know, these people are, are putting this out there and kind of, if if, if it takes a culture shift, which I, I agree with you, I think is the ideal, it's gonna take a lot of people who are influential on the culture to steer that, to model yeah. that, I mean, that's, that's how cultures shift is we have individuals planted around in, in, in influential spots, influencers, you know, to promote that kind of thing. And what you're gonna be up against is the other stuff, which is just do what feels good. And that they are influencers too. So that's the culture war to some degree too. That's a fringe part of the culture war is, you know, the, the responsibility element versus the just do what feels good kind of element.
2: Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, uh, the, the disparity between George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. Um, Washington was a Ketonian, you know, very reserved, very, uh, uh, Like virtue was the key goal in his life, and then you know, um, Jefferson was a bit more on the side of enjoying life and things like that, and just leave me alone. I mean, he was the original Republican. Like, I'm just going to do my thing. You leave me the fuck alone. Uh, I don't want this strong central government stuff. But I think we can see from like Jefferson was a brilliant man, but I think we can see from his failures how, and and from you know Washington's. Failures, in my opinion, and letting Alexander, Alexander Hamilton run roughshod over the early part of this country. He fucked up a lot of stuff uh, that, we, that we're still dealing with today. Yeah. Yeah, financially, especially. Um, and I, I think the very obvious solution is that the confluence of those two ideas are, is what makes America great. You know, it's the idea that uh, we, put, we place virtue first in order to allow people to live the best possible life. You know what I mean? That's the whole thing. Yeah. It's it's like mom and dad. It's like dad builds the house and protects the house and hunts for food. And mom makes sure that we're all taken care of so we can actually enjoy our lives. You know what I mean? And that's why I, I get so irritated with the, like the state of modern politics is completely fucked. But even in the 1950s or something, when it was a little more calm, um, that it, it started around that time. To, like when Richard Nixon started to get involved in politics in the mid fifties and stuff like that, it started to get to a point where we, instead of seeing the other side of the political spectrum as a complement to what we were doing, we, we started to see them as the enemy. And that's, that's not, it's not how it works. That's not real. That's not reality. It's not reality that classical liberalism and Republicanism are different, are like, uh, uh, so different that they can't coexist together. They're two. Th- they're two very necessary parts of any free society, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I talk about. I'm wearing my Sons of Liberty shirt. Yeah, a Citizen Podcast. You know, like we need them. Like we need Texas and California. Mm-hmm. We need. Um, left and right you know i mean I've, I've only been to one political rally like ever and it was in 2020 for tulsi gabbard and she you know got up and was um talking about abraham lincoln and and um you know a quote of his is something like i don't like that man i need to know him better but the way that i kind of frame it for my um because there's a couple of ways i've explained left and right political ideology. So real quickly, that like one is like, you know, Jordan Peterson kind of like order and chaos. Mm. So one is like the pedals moving ideas forward. And then the other one is the brakes like, oh, hold on, let's let's keep this orderly and stuff like that. And both to the extremes are very dangerous. But the way that I've, I've um, kind of thought about this, because I'm, I'm always trying to think in metaphor, because there's 16 mm. year olds who don't give a shit about learning government. you know. So I got to try and explain to them. So I'm like at a club, there's a lot of people that want to get into the club. And then there's a the doorman and the doorman's like, no, no, not you. you. Oh, you pretty girl. Yeah. Come on. Like, and that's essentially what I'm seeing now with like the progressives are putting all kinds of wacky ideas out there. Some are good. Some are not good. Mm. And then the conservatives are like the filter. It's like the screen, like the, the, what is the sift or whatever, mm. the doorman to say like, okay, you can come in. You can't. Cause this, that's how we got, people say like, well, progressivism is how we got the civil rights movement. No, no, it was both. Because within the progressive movement, there was Stokely Carmichael, too. Yeah. There were really radical people, and they were not allowed in the club. But Martin Luther King, who said, you know, equal rights under the 14th Amendment, okay, that you can come in the club. And we need that, because if you just open up the gates, that club now is going to be a mess. It's mm. going to be terrible. No one's going to have a good time. and. If no one, if we just shut down all progressives, then mm. the club's empty. Yep. So we have to really work together. And that's why I really I value tremendously my friends on the left and the right, because I I see it as we need both of you guys. We do need the wacky AOCs, but we also need the more like conservative, whatever Dan Crenshaw or whoever, you know, on the on the right too. Like we we need both of them. We're, what's the problem though? And I agree with you that we're fucked is. They're not working together. Yeah. What we need is for them to sit down and talk. I see people talk all the time about Marjorie Taylor Greene, but why don't you talk to her mm. in a public forum for three hours and let's work this all out. Mm. Let's work it out why I don't want you in my club. Let's let's actually talk about this. And that's, I think, what's not happening. This division is a perfect time for us to go, oh, you know what? I don't like those lefties. I don't like those people in the extreme right, whatever I, I define that as. So let's work this out, the, the you know, in the battleground of ideas, and we'll get to something approximating, you know, something good for this country. That's mm. compromise. That's that's how Hamilton and Jefferson hated each other, but they mm. had to compromise. We had to compromise to even build our you know bicameral legislature and stuff like that. Like that's that's what's needed, and I think that's what's missing from from the situation. We've always, as you said, we've always been polarized, but they've. <laughs> interacted more and that started to shut down a lot more in the nineties, new getting rich and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. The, uh, the family stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I wonder if the division that we see now to such an extreme is, uh, and by the way, what like James Madison was a big part of pushing that division as well. Uh, very, very involved in, in creating political, like, George Washington did not want political parties uh, and Alexander Hamilton definitely did. He wanted Federalists and Republicanism to get the fuck out of there and uh, things like that. But I wonder if today the division is a result of people being divisive, generally speaking, or if it's a result of people being divided by political theater. You know what I mean? Like, have we been marketed, have we been marketed to, has division been marketed to us by political theater or are we just tribal? I mean, I know we, to some degree we're tribalistic by nature, but it seems like unless somebody is instigating, people will find a way to get along because you have to, Mm -hmm. because it's inconvenient to be constantly at odds with everybody around you. It's not, it's not even like an ethical or moral issue. It's just fucking exhausting and inconvenient to be constantly at odds with everybody.
1: I think, yeah, I think it's both. I think that we do have that inherent element of tribalism. It's why we support our sports teams that we do and things like that. So this is just the, the biggest sports team. This is, we turn on the news, it's all politics. So we're just bombarded with this, this like us versus them, left versus right. You watch Fox News, it's how terrible the Democrats are. You watch CNN, it's how terrible the Republicans are. And it's just, and the people who are in, who are running this political theater are so confident. They just know that they are right and those are wrong. They and and so you watch that and you go, Oh, okay, I like that confidence. Mm. Like, that's what makes a good salesperson, right? Someone who's just is so confident. You're like, that's like, Oh, okay, well, I'm just gonna listen to them. And then, and then we just go, All right, we have this tribal kind of programming and this just taps right into that. And then you would think with with access to all the stuff online and stuff, we would have all these different viewpoints, but that's not the way the algorithm works, right? Because when social media is created, it's like, I love model airplanes. So I click, I like model airplanes. So I get a lot of model airplane stuff. It's like, this is awesome. But when you do that with news, with politics, you get what you want. Like I'm a capitalist. I love, you know, free market ideas. But there's a danger when I bought this pen because I like the pen. I don't know if I should be buying my news because I like the news. Maybe there's news you should Hear that makes you uncomfortable. Maybe there's news that you should hear, should hear, not necessarily want to hear. And I think that the, a big problem is also the media is kind of is is structuring in this this kind of capitalist system of giving you what you want. Right. And yeah. Sometimes we don't we don't. That's not good for us. What we want.
2: Yeah. So it's, it's what do we need. Hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with that. So you know, look, here's the reality of the situation. No, no one's going to do that for you. the 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 news corporations and politicians that we have in America aren't going to do that work for you. You know that if you're if you're paying any attention, you know that now that it's an echo chamber um, that's being fed to you to create some kind of result. And if you want to fight it, that a lot of people have chosen to tune out and ignore it. That is not how you win this battle. You win this battle by doing two or three more layers of research on the subject than you normally would have. And, and then having conversations with other people and like, Hey, what did you get out of this? And then they respond and you say, well, I read these other two things and they said this, what do you think about that? And even if you don't settle right there, you've planted a seed in that person's mind and in your mind to think about this more. And at some point you're going to come to a good decision about it. You know, if you, if you continue to do that, I think it's really important. I'm really glad there are people out there like you that are teaching kids to do this shit. It's unfortunate that that's not the standard, right? But as much as we've liked to rag on public education over the last 10 or 20 years, it's been bad for about 100 years or if not more in in America, especially uh, like once – I don't have time to get into it now. But it's it's been bad in America for a while, and it's not that we don't spend money on it, and it's not that we have incompetent people doing the teaching. It's that the standards have not been set appropriately And that's on all of us to fix that. The good news is that we all know what the problem is, you know, and I think we have a really good idea of what the solution is. Now it's just time to do it. So I appreciate you doing it uh, and teaching the next generation to do the same. And I appreciate you coming on today. Thank
1: you, man. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what got me into this stuff on social media and podcasting Mm -hmm. is to do, to try and fix the education system. And I knew if I went to a college of education, i'd be i'd be right i'd be just into an indoctrination camp Mm. basically like that's not the way to do it so i'm trying to backdoor my way through these channels and you giving me a platform to talk about it is is amazing so i I appreciate you tremendously as well
2: yeah for sure uh check out uh will roosh everywhere you can find him tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs
1: yeah generally it's just um my instagram is like the the platform i use it's personal you can kind of see that i'm a real person Mm. um so it's just my name will roosh and then uh uh, and then I have a podcast called cylinder radio. that I'll probably lean into a little bit more next year, just having conversations with people, every controversial topic you can think of abortion and guns and race and transgenderism, all this stuff. And we just try and get all different perspectives it's called cylinder radio. The idea is like, it's like a circle mm. and then it's a rectangle, but it's actually like complex. So I just love the complexities and nuances and disrupting people's kind of uh, programming a little bit
2: great man i appreciate it yeah. yeah uh you guys go check them out uh thank you for coming today thanks for listening this has been citizen
0: save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card shop these deals at your local kroger today or tap the screen now to download the kroger app to save big today